How are you doing this morning? Good. There's a lot of moving parts, yeah, for you this morning.
Many Christmas traditions have developed over the centuries of Christianity's existence. One tradition is the festival known as the Hanging of the Green. Today marks the beginning of a month of Christmas celebration of music, decorations, giving, sharing, receiving, and rejoicing, all proclaiming the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the reason for the season. So let us hang the first green and open our Christmas season. Today we will continue decorating our worship center with its Christmas apparel. More lights and greenery will be added as we get ready for the birthday of our king. Please hang the second green in honor of Jesus' birthday. Many years ago, the carrying of the green into the home took on a very special significance. It was as if the greenery itself carried blessings into the home. Our forefathers spoke of fetching the hallowed sprigs from the woods and bringing Christmas home. We know that the blessing was and is the presence of Christ himself. Hang the third green as we bring Christmas to our church home. Have you ever wondered why we decorate with evergreen? The roots of this tradition may actually reach into a Roman pagan celebration called Mithra. It was a midwinter festival. When the people noticed that the trees were shedding their leaves, they feared that nature was dying. However, the evergreens stayed green, so they were used as decoration to entice life back again. Early Christians either shunned these festivals or took them over and gave them a Christian fulfilled meaning. Jesus Christ is the only one who can give eternal life. He is the only true evergreen. Hang the fourth green in honor of Jesus, the everlasting life. The origin of the Christmas tree may have come from Germany. A missionary named Boniface discovered that on Christmas Eve, the chieftain Gunder was going to kill his oldest son as a sacrifice to the gods. The sacrifice was to take place beneath a giant oak tree, which was considered sacred. Boniface, wishing to discredit their superstition, struck the tree with an ax. A mighty wind toppled the oak. Growing nearby was a small pine tree. It would become symbolic. Let us hang the fifth green as we reflect upon the Christmas tree, a symbol of the life we have in Christ. Having saved Gunder's son's life, Boniface told the people to cease forever their useless shedding of blood beneath the trees. He told them to take the little evergreen tree to their homes and make it a home tree on the birth night of the Christ child. It was to be a sign of endless life. Hang the sixth green as we lift our prayers to our Lord. 
the shape of the tree was also given a spiritual significance. Boniface noted how the boughs all spread out like hands in prayer, and the tree always pointed to heaven. May we be a people of prayer. This, Christ, this, this Christmas, as we pray for our missionaries and for people all over the world to come to know Jesus. Hang the seventh green as we lift our prayers to our Lord. The practice of placing gifts under the tree could possibly have its origin in the instructions of Boniface. Let the tree shelter loving gifts of lights and kindness. The tree should remind us of God's greatest gift to us, the gift of his son Jesus. Hang the eighth green in honor of God's greatest gift, Jesus. Christmas introduces the complete Christ event. Looming over the babe in the manger is Calvary. Christ came to die for our sins. God so loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Hang the ninth green in honor of the Christ of Calvary. Lights also have had a place of honor in the Christmas tradition. In the Roman midwinter festival, the pagans feared that the sun god, Brumalia, was dying because the days were getting shorter. Darkness was spreading. Lights were lit to encourage the life of the sun god. Christians came with the truth that Christ is the light and in him is no darkness at all. The light is in the Son of God, Jesus, not in the sun god, Bromelia. Many centuries later, the story is told that Martin Luther was out of doors on a Christmas Eve and became enthralled with the wonder and beauty of the starry sky. He saw the stars through the branches of an evergreen tree and was reminded of Jesus who came down from heaven for us and our salvation. Upon returning home, he placed candles in the Christmas tree to try to recreate the beautiful scene for his children. Jesus is the light of our lives. In honor of Jesus, the light, light the green. As we begin our Christmas celebrations today, I invite you to stand as we sing together, Joy to the World, the Lord Has Come.
Good morning. How are you? What a wonderful first day of Advent. And we welcome you to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. If this is the very first time that you've ever been here or you've never filled out a guest card, we'd love for you to take that opportunity with the guest card that's in the pew in front of you. Just fill it out and drop it in one of the offering boxes as you leave today. The lighting of our worship center, the beautiful decorations, all with the focus of presenting an environment of worship in this Christmas season. We've just passed through Thanksgiving, a time when it symbolizes our gratefulness all through the year, a time for us to reflect, to count our blessings. The greatest blessing is the hope that Christ gives us. And today we focus upon that hope. I'd ask you if you would to join me in a time of prayer. And as we light as Jesus is the light of the world this season is to be a season where we reflect that light in everything that we do join me please father thank you for the time that you've given us this morning the hanging of the greens father they it is symbolic in so many ways it presents with us an understanding of everlasting life that comes through Jesus Christ alone Father, this morning we embrace that hope. We thank you for the opportunity to join together as a congregation, lift our voices in song, to participate, to engage, to hear the prayers and the testimonies, to sing the songs, to hear your word. Father, all together to give you honor and praise and glory. And this morning we set aside completely for you. We want your presence to be here and for us to experience you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
it's time for you to sing with us. Several Christmas carols put together in a medley. If you would like to stand, you may, but you're, you don't have to. But we're going to start with the first Noel. Shepherds, it fills us there. 
about now. First of all, I want to thank each and every one of you uh, for praying for me and sharing. I want to explain something to you. Very important. Uh, your prayers are very important. There was a time, uh, just not too long ago, when we were going through what we were going through, that God revealed to me that somebody was praying for me. And let me tell you what it did. Uh, as he told me, it didn't happen every day, okay? I'll just be frankly honest with you. I can't even remember if it was every other day, or, but it happened more than once. But somebody was praying for me. Let me tell you what happened. The pain went away, okay? I'm experience, I experienced nerve pain, you know, death, not real pain, but just pain. It went away. Somebody was praying for me. I got more strength. Somebody was praying for me, spiritual, physical, whatever it may, may have been, but somebody was praying for me. So the moral to it is if I got to experience that, I'm not special, <laughs> okay? Uh, other people get to experience that as well. And uh, we pray all the time. It comes across the prayer chain out of obedience to Christ. And when I say we pray, I pray for people I don't even know, okay? Never met them, don't know, but I pray specifically for the need. Um, and I think that we sometimes as Christians, we don't do that, okay? But out of the obedience of Christ, specifically for the need. And I think that's important that we pay attention to that. Uh, that we pray for the need because it comes across. We may not know them, but if I got to experience that, I guarantee you I wasn't the only one. So with that being said, I want to talk to you about Thanksgiving for just a second. Thanksgiving, wonderful day. Um, and we all know that Thanksgiving comes. And we have leftovers. Okay. <laughs> Leftovers. Sometimes leftovers are better the second day. Depends on the leftover. But they're not so good on the third day or the fourth day. Well, I want to tell you, God does not want our leftovers, okay? <laughs> Sorry, I got to reposition every now and then. God doesn't want our leftovers. Okay, church, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you ready to pray? One more time. Okay, Father, we are ready to pray. Father Abba, this morning, as we cry out, your people, we come to you, Father. We come to you this morning in service, praise, worship, songs, hymns, Pastor Kennedy's going to deliver your message, Father God, to us. We come, Father God, acknowledging, Abba, Father, you are the great I am. And we thank you so much for your love for us. Father, we love you, but we thank you for your love for us. You love us so much, Father God, that you gave yourself, the spotless lamb, as your son, to die on the cross for the sins of this world 
which are our sins. Father, this morning, we, your body, we ask for forgiveness for the sins of this great nation. Father God, because we have sinned against you, and we truly ask for forgiveness, Father. We ask for forgiveness for this nation, Father, and we thank you for the opportunity to be able to do so. Back to your love, Father God. Your love for us, an amazing love, an agape love. Pastor Kennedy last week preached, you preached through him, Psalm 113, love, unity. Father God, love, unity. And we thank you for that message, Father, but you love us so much, Father, that you gave us your son, died on the cross for the sins of this world through his blood and his resurrection. Uh, Father God, we've been saved, the gift. And Father, I really tr truly want to thank you for the gift. Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, his blood painted. I said painted, Father God, on the doorposts of our hearts. What a gift, Father, true gift. And I thank you so much for that love, Father, the love for us. And Father, obviously, Obviously, as through our pastor, through the message, love, love, love. Love thy enemy, love thy neighbor, love thy brother, love thy sister, love. Obviously, we fall short because you continue to teach us that, that we are to love. And understanding that, Father God, your love for us and how we can love you, we have to learn to love. Please teach us, Lord, this morning as we reach out, as we surrender. Teach us how to love. Because, Father God, truly, we do not know how. Father God, we do not know how. We need you, Father God, to show us, teach us. And I thank you so much, Father God, for that. Also, Father, you bring to my mind um, in a book of Romans. Yeah, it's Romans. And to think about that, Father. Paul wrote, Paul wrote, Father God, in the book of Romans, I believe it's seven or eight, somewhere in there, and you know how I am, I can't remember some things, but Father, Paul wrote about his struggles from the law, the spirit, learning to walk in your spirit, Father God, the spirit of adoption, the spirit, your spirit. Father God, your spirit unites with our spirit. Try unity, Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Unites with our spirit, and your spirit intercedes with our spirit. And Father, that's not a one-time deal. It's an everyday process that you teach us and that your spirit unites with our spirit, and we Father God, may walk in your spirit and your spirit interceding for us. Sometimes we don't even have the words, Father God. We don't even have the words, but your spirit intercedes. Your spirit intercedes for us, and I thank you for that teaching. Father God, the teaching, and we can all learn from that, Father. This morning, Father God, as your people, we surrender. We give it all to you, Father God. The praise and worship that we're about ready to continue to experience in Pastor Kennedy's message. We give it to you, Father God. We surrender 
our whole life. The word whole is a big word. Entirety. That's what the word whole is. Entirety. Father, you want our entire life, every area. This morning, Father God, as we search, and you open up the eyes of our heart, Father God, that we may see that it has to start here with us. Unity, love. Continue to teach us. That brings me to there's something that just came to my heart, Father God. And I'm not, you know me, I know how to praise and worship, but I can't sing. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of our heart. We want to see you. We want to see you. We want to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Father, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Abba. I just thank you for all of us. In your precious son's name, Lord Jesus Christ, amen. me to say. I'm sorry it took so long. This morning we, <clears throat> excuse me, this morning we joined millions of Christians around the world in celebrating the first Sunday of Advent. This observance, which occurs with the fourth four Sundays prior to Christmas, has been a part of the Christmas tradition, Christian tradition, for centuries. The word Advent, from the Latin, means coming. And it refers to the coming of our Lord on Christmas Day. Traditionally, the Advent season has been a time of preparing and anticipating and celebrating the coming of God's Son into our world. Additionally, this season reminds us that as our Lord came once, he will come again. As there was a first advent, there will be a second advent. And so, as we reflect upon this season of the year, it is a way for us to be reminded of all that is ours because of the past, but at the same time, to anticipate what lies before us in the future. The Advent wreath and the candles are symbols that we use in this observance and celebration. The circle of the wreath represents eternity and the never-ending love of God for us. The four candles, one of which we will light during each Sunday service, represent the four qualities of hope, peace, joy, and love qualities all associated with Christ and his coming. The white candle in the center is the Christ candle, which we will light on Christmas Eve. The first candle we light today is the candle of hope. Its color purple represents the royalty of Christ as king. We only have hope because God is faithful and will keep his promises that he's made to us. Through years, the hope of a savior was kept alive by the prophets of Israel. Finally, that hope was fulfilled in Christ. So here are the promise as cited by Paul in his letter to the Romans. 
And the prophet said, the heir of David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hopes on him. So I pray that God, who gives you hope, will fill you with joy and peace as you believe in him. May you overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Dr. Glenn Saul, our former pastor, and Denise Bahadir has just lit the candle of hope. And all God's people said, Amen. scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 16, 13 through 16. You can follow along in the Pew Bible or on the screen. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. These are the words of the Lord.
talk about hope, the hope of the world. As Lynn has sung, Jesus is the light of the world, he is also the hope. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Hope. Hope is one of those elusive things for so many people. They hope something happens. For the believer in Christ, as you look at the Old Testament words for hope, and in the New Testament, as you look at the Greek understanding of hope, it is a factual It is a belief. It is a truth. It is an absolute that this is going to happen if you have hope in Christ. And that hope is salvation. And that hope is eternal life. And the scripture is very clear. In the Old Testament, they were always looking forward to the hope, the deliverer, that God, through his prophets, through his servants, focused, communicated to each of us. Even in those dark times, throughout the Old Testament, they referred to the one who would come. Genesis 22:18, Numbers 24:17, Isaiah 11:1, 1, Jeremiah 23:5 and 6. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Psalm 72, 9 and 10. Jeremiah 31, 15. Hosea 11, 1. And on and on it goes. The scripture talking about that one who would come. The hope that was just beyond those living in the Old Testament, but they believed. They believed that God would deliver them. They believed the promise of the hope. And as has been stated as we celebrate the first advent, we see that this is that hope that has become a reality. The hope of Christ as we begin these days in December, these four Sundays, it tells us that it is true what is that hope how does Christ become the hope of the world 800 years before the birth of Christ Isaiah 7 14 Isaiah writes therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel hope is found in his miraculous birth you see he was divinely conceived the scripture tells us in Matthew 1 20 an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said 
Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The comfort understanding for Joseph to know and to understand that what has happened to Mary is from God. His mother was human, his father God. Jesus' birth emphasizes his unique nature as a human son, child, and the son of God. His miraculous conception by the Spirit illustrated that he was the unique bearer of the Spirit. This means that the Spirit was involved in the life of Jesus in every single aspect of his life from the very beginning. He was uniquely human and divine. Conception by the Holy Spirit shows that uniqueness and that understanding of being unique will never happen again. He was born of a virgin. Reflecting on what Isaiah said, chapter 1 and verse 23 of Matthew the scripture says the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us Isaiah said shall in Matthew it says will and the reality is the hope has come Three times in this passage, in verse 18, in verse 20, and verse 25, Mary is described as having absolutely no union with Joseph whatsoever. He was a child through the Holy Spirit. We can't explain the virgin birth. There's no way to for us. It's just another instance of miracles being the exception to the natural order of things. When we look at Jesus' ministry and his miracle of his resurrection, quite frankly, the virgin birth should be no issue with us whatsoever. As he walked upon the hills and the desert areas and the lush, beautiful areas of Israel and performed the miracles and gave God's divine teaching, the living word, we began to understand the Spirit was upon him. The virgin birth was God's chosen way to become incarnate. The invisible, spiritual God became human, visible. God came down to walk among men that we might see him and know him and love him. He was born miraculously. That should give us hope. Secondly, hope is found in his sinless life. Jesus said that of himself in John chapter 8 and verse 29. He said, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. The word always. In any counseling situation with married couples, we always remind them, please, if you are having a discussion or a debate or something like that, don't, always, don't use that word always. You always do this or you always do that. Because none of us always do those things with the exception of Jesus. He said he always does the work 
that pleases the Father. He said, the one who sent me is with me. What does that mean? Well, Jesus said in John 10, 30, the Father and I are one. There was an amazing companionship they had together. It was Jesus' desire to please the Father and to do his will, to be about his business, as a very young Jesus said, and to do it completely. Others said that of him, about his sinless life. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. The writer of Hebrews 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, yet without sin. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. John said in 1 John 3, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him was no sin. The writers come together with this understanding that we have hope, and hope is in him because he is God come in the flesh, and he has no sin whatsoever. And that allows us to have the hope because the scripture is very clear. Every one of us has sin and we can't get rid of it. He's our hope. No one ever seriously accused him of sin. In a discussion that he had with the Pharisees in John chapter 8 and verse 46, he looks at them and says, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Here he had the religious leaders of the day before him, and they were discussing, debating various aspects of theology. And he said, prove me guilty of sin. They couldn't. He said, then why don't you believe? No one could list a sin that Jesus had committed, even some of the Pharisees through the New Testament confessed that his power was not to be dismissed as something belonging to those who were in the category of sin, which would be all of us. Hope is found in his miraculous birth. Hope is found in his sinless life. Hope is also found in his vicarious death. Webster defines vicarious as substituted or performed in the place of another. Here we find that Jesus is our substitute. Peter said in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Amen. He voluntarily died for you. He voluntarily died for me. He took my place on the cross he paid for the sins that should have put me separated from him for all an eternity instead he gave me freedom the shackles were broken they were thrown off not because of my good deeds but because of his sinless life and his death upon the cross at calvary he 
is my substitute and he is your substitute as well. He went on to say, Peter did, once and for all. That sacrifice will never have to be done again. You don't have to keep looking, longing for another hope out there. Because Jesus' sacrifice was it. The Old Testament, every single year they had to bring that sacrifice into the Holy of Holies and make that sacrifice for the people of Israel every year. Every single year. But when Jesus became that Paschal Lamb, became that sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, when he died vicariously for you and me, that sacrifice took care of it. It's once and for all. It will never have to be done again. And why did he do that? He did not do that for pleasure. There was no pleasure in what he did. The pain was immense physically. The spiritual battle is something we cannot even comprehend. The turning of God's back in the midst of Christ taking on the blackness of humanity, the sin that we've committed through the history of mankind from the very beginning to the, the time when he returns yet again. That was as black and dark as it can get. But he took it all upon himself. Why? To bring you to God. That was the only reason. He saw you and me in our helpless state. He saw us with our sin, the sins in our mind, the sins of our actions, the sins of our heart, the sins of things that we know we should do and don't do, the sins of things that we don't do that we should do. We find that he is our mediator. Peter says he brings the unrighteous into a right standing before God. We don't have that ability. We don't have that ability to come before Almighty God ourselves with our good works, with our abilities, with our intellect, with our stature in the community, our stature with humanity. It doesn't do it. You see, as he looks upon all of us who are frail and fallen, knowing that every single one of us will not survive this earth, he said, I came for you. I looked upon you, and I loved you. I love you unconditionally. And I reach out to you with my forgiveness and my grace and my mercy. And I want you to follow me. That's how we come into a right standing. Not by our merit, but by receiving Christ into our life. He takes our sins away. And it's only with the Father looking at us clothed in Christ's righteousness, that we are ushered into his kingdom. Right standing before a holy and a blameless God. 
We don't deserve that. He died to save us. John chapter 1, verse 29, the scripture says the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. <coughs> Something struck me as I was looking at this verse this week. And I've seen it dozens and dozens of times, but it seemed to resonate with me. He said it was not with perishable things, and he went on to say that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down by your forefathers. Those without Christ, while they may be successful in the world's eyes, are empty. An empty way of life. Without Christ, there isn't the kind of eternal joy and peace that comes. It's an empty way. It's like striving. Like a hamster on a on a wheel that just keeps going around and around and around thinking you're getting somewhere and you're not getting anywhere. <coughs> he says, it's not with silver or gold that you are taken away from that. He says it's from the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot or blemish. <laughs> Listen, he died for he died and gave his life as a, a substitute for you to give you the opportunity for life everlasting and what's really interesting is at the end of what Peter is writing he says he was chosen before the creation of the world he's always been the Savior before the universe was spoken into existence by God was his plan and it was for you and it was for me Martin Luther lived during the 16th century he was an Augustinian monk and he was the catalyst for the Protestant Reformation in spite of his his greatness and his uh, wonderful contribution to history Luther was given over to depression and melancholy. He writes that during one of these times of depression, he seemed to see this hideous being. And he was writing on the wall. And as he was writing on the wall, he saw what he was writing. He said it, the list 
of all of his sins. It was long and it was hideous. Luther saw his sinful words and his sinful deeds. His open sins and his secret sins. His sins of commission and sins of omission. And he said it, it seemed like that it was endless. The bean kept writing those sins. And Luther finally bowed his head and he called out to Jesus. And when he opened his eyes, that hideous bean stopped writing and turned and gazed at Luther. And Luther says, there is one thing that you have forgotten to write. And the bean said, what is that? And Luther said, take your pen and write this. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And he said, immediately that demonic visitor left and everything that he had written on the wall was gone. There is not one of us who has not sinned. But the one who never sinned cleanses our sin. That gives us hope. God didn't purchase your redemption. Money cannot buy salvation. It's free to all, but it's not cheap. One paid the ransom. We've been continuing to pray for the 17 missionaries that were kidnapped in Haiti. Two were released. The last I saw, there were still 15 being kept. They were demanding a ransom of $17 million. A Christian organization, there's no way they could pay that kind of money where they're sent out from. So we continue to pray. But that's what this gang is holding these missionaries for and others but for ransom Jesus in eternity in the spiritual realm we are ones that lost our freedom and we can't free ourselves someone has to be the ransom and the scripture tells us very clearly that Jesus is the Redeemer. He's the one who delivers his people from their sins. And it was the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that paid for that. So we see that our hope comes from his miraculous birth, his sinless life, his vicarious death, last we find that hope is found in his triumphant resurrection he spoke about his resurrection in matthew chapter 12 verse 40 
He said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 17, he said, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And in Matthew 16, 21, the scripture says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This was part of the hope, the completeness. You see, the resurrection shows us that Jesus is not just a dead martyr, a good man who died for a good cause. It's far greater than that. It's the heart of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first four verses, listen carefully or read. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you would have delivered and believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He said it's the heart of the gospel. It's by the gospel you're saved. The gospel is the good news. The good news is that Jesus died and was raised up for our justification, for us. <laughs> and we have that light. And during this season, we celebrate Advent, but we're to communicate that light to everyone that we see, everyone that we come in contact with. We are not to be hushed embarrassed, timid. We're to spread that light of the gospel. He is our hope, and he is the hope of every single person on this earth. And every single person in Sun City West and Sun City and Sun City Grand and Peoria, and it, the list goes on and on. He's the hope. Benjamin Franklin, when he was just a young man in 1728, composed his mock epitaph. And here's what he wrote. The body of Benjamin Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms, but the work shall not be lost for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, revised and corrected by the author. And that's what Jesus Christ does for us. He offers us that understanding that this old body is going to be left aside. But
but what is inside of us, our spirit and soul, shall be with him, cleansed, redeemed. He is our hope, our certainty, our promise forever and ever because of what Christ has done. Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. And that's what he offers. That's the hope of this Advent. The hope of Jesus coming. All of those who look forward to it in the Old Testament. And all of these from our time and before, after the resurrection, looking back at what Christ has done, it offers that understanding that we can have life everlasting. He is our hope. He is our only hope. And this morning, I offer that hope to you. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior today, is the day that you can have that hope because you have no other hope. It's not good works. It's not position. It only comes in Christ. But you need to ask him to come into your life today. And for those who have done that and have been transformed, we can hold on to that hope no matter what we face, no matter how difficult the times or challenging the times are. He's the one that is going to get us through. And he wants us to walk more intimately and more deeply with him. And this morning could be a time for you to say, that hope I have everlasting life, but I want that depth of my relationship with him. You might want to rededicate your life. And one of those things you can do is to say, you know what? I haven't joined this church, but this is a, a church that believes the Bible, strives to live it out, teaches it, worships God. This is the place that I want to engage in ministry, and we invite you to come. The hope in this Advent, the hope of Jesus Christ. Stand and let's sing our invitation hymn.
be seated if you would. The holidays are always a little bit difficult, but especially if you've lost someone. It's good to see Ruthie here. Ruthie's mom went to the Lord, to, on to the Lord this week, and uh, she is better by far, and uh, we have been praying for you. And Shirley, we've been praying for you in these last uh, two or three weeks, just lifting you up. Um, but we have the promise of the resurrection. And we have the promise of Christ being the hope. And that's, that's why we can our Southern Baptist Convention. We have some 3,700 international missionaries in countries all around the world. Uh, some we can talk about as far as very freely about where they are and their names. Others are in places in the world that uh, are very dangerous and we can't even mention their real names. Um, but in your bulletin, there is an insert, and that insert gives you this whole week, eight days, to pray for the various missionaries and the ministries. It just shows you a portion of what kinds of things are going on within the International Mission Board, but it gives you an idea of how to pray. Also, there is an offering envelope in there as well as in the pews, uh, we're going to ask you, if you would, above your tithe, ask God, what should I do for the Lottie Christmas offering this year? 100% of those funds go directly to the, mis the ministries that our missionaries are engaged in. And that's pretty special. Um, our church goal is $19,350. And we can do that and uh, pray. Uh, last year, we went just over $20,000 in uh, what you generously gave, and we would like to, to repeat that again. So be in prayer about that specific thing. And Nancy, I'll turn the rest over to you. 190 churches, or excuse me, countries are represented by those 3,700 missionaries who serve around the world. There are some flags lining the platform and the CLC, a few flags up here that represent a portion of those 190 countries where our missionaries serve. I encourage you when you go into the CLC just to stop and pray for those missionaries that serve. And if you aren't sure what the flag country is, just look on the handle. There's going to be a lot going on this week. We'll get to hear from one of those 3,700 foreign missionaries on Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Her name, and she is going to be working in Central Asia. You'll want to come and hear about her work. On Thursday, we have a Christmas movie party. For those of you who want to come for lunch at 12.30, the cost is $5, but we do need you to sign up today or call the church office by four o'clock tomorrow at the very latest so that we will have sufficient food. If you want to come for the movie at one o'clock, there's the Charlie Brown Christmas short, it's a movie, and then we will stop and eat and have some cider and some hot chocolate, and then we will see the Christmas movie, The Star, after that. So it's going to be a fun day on Thursday. Ladies, if you have not already signed up to be part of the Christmas celebration, Women Celebrating Christ's Birth on December 9th, 
please take the time to sign up, either in the main lobby or on the Breezeway table. And men, your breakfast you have today and next Sunday to sign up for the men's breakfast, which will be on the 7th. The last thing, Christmas caroling. Two weeks from this afternoon, December the 12th, we will assemble and go out at 4 o'clock, caroling in the neighborhood. We'll come back and have some snacks, and then at 5 o'clock, in-house caroling. So if you are one that would like to walk down the streets behind us in that neighborhood caroling, come at 4. If you would like to just come for the snacks at 4.45, then Ben will have some in-house caroling at 5. Thank you. Frank and Betty, would y'all stand with me here? This is Frank and Betty Bush. Uh, they have come today to say we want to be a part of First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Uh, they come on their statement of faith. We've had a good conversation in regard to that. They've been coming for a few months now, and it's so good to have you transition into our community and, uh, and then join our church. We are so excited about that. Uh, with our, our Baptist polity, we vote on you guys. So. If you'll hang on just a moment, okay? All in favor of accepting them, if you show that by the sign aye. aye. Uh, if you're by the sign no, yeah, I've never had a no yet, but <laughs> and it's, that record is going. They don't know you yet, yeah, and you don't know us all that well, but we're going to do that because fellowship is such a vital part of who we are as a church as well as our ministry. We look forward to that. So in just a few moments, our folks are going to come around and give you the right hand of Christian fellowship speak to you as they walk through and they're basically saying welcome to our church family your church family and we're going to be praying with you and working beside you in these days ahead okay all right you hang right here are you guys involved in a bible study okay all right where, where do you guys go bob 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 where you at bob yeah sunday school bible study yeah yeah yeah, that's okay. That's okay. I get to about Friday, I'm pretty confused too. <laughs> Come ahead, Bob. If you would mind standing with uh, with these folks. Yeah, there we go. Okay, all right. Let's stand, and uh, we're going to have our our closing our closing prayer. Bill Swinney, who is one of our newly elected deacons, will be coming to lead our closing prayer. May we pray. Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Heavenly Father, you are the hope of this world. We look to you for guidance. We thank you for your love. Bless these that have, have, have come to join us. May we be a blessing to them as we know they will be a blessing to us. In your holy name we ask it. Thank you. 